If you have your Bible with you today, turn with me, if you would, to the Old Testament book of Psalms, right near the middle of your Bible. We're going to be in Psalm 46 today. Psalm 46. And you know, there are certain passages in the Bible that are very, very familiar. Sometimes it's just a, a, a phrase of the Bible. Sometimes it's a, a verse, you know, uh, like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's one of those very recognizable, uh, at least the beginning of it's very recognizable. A lot of people even outside the church know the phrase, judge not. That's something that Jesus said. Of course, it's, uh, you know, I always want to follow up with that and say, uh, twist not the scripture lest you be like the devil because they, they misunderstand that and misapply it many times. Uh, what's true of the Bible as a whole is often true of uh, the book of Psalms in particular. Like if I start... And you guys know all this stuff. And a lot of people outside the church, they know the 23rd Psalm. What if I said, be still and know what? That I'm God. It's one of those things that uh, sometimes it's just a verse or a phrase out of these Psalms that we know really well. And that, that last one, be still and know that I'm God, that comes from our text today, Psalm 46. What's sad is we know that one little part of the Psalm, but we don't know the rest of the Psalm. And I say it's sad because Psalm 46 has some tremendous stuff to tell us. And that's what we're going to look at today. And in particular, it gives us reasons to praise and thank God. And I think it's always an appropriate time to, to pause and to thank God because, of course, we talk about being thankful Thanksgiving. But you know what? I've noticed that God's good to us the other 11 months too, not just in, in the month of November. Now, there are a couple things I want you to know about the psalm right off the bat. First... Uh, we don't know why it was written. Some of the psalms, we know exactly why, they, why it was written because uh, it'll tell us up in, up in the little heading. Uh, one psalm that David wrote, you remember there's a time whenever he feigned insanity, whenever he was uh, surrounded by some Philistines. He went to their city and he acted like he was nuts. And then he wrote a psalm because God had delivered him in that situation and he wrote a psalm about it. Well, we don't know what exactly it was that happened that caused Psalm 46 to be penned. A lot of people think that um, it, was the, it was the incident when God, God struck dead 185,000 soldiers that were coming against the people of God. Um, that's recorded in the book of 2 Kings chapter 19 and also Isaiah 37. The fact is we don't know what it was that elicited this praise from the people of God. Uh, whatever it was, it made a huge impact on the, on the community of faith and you say, well, Pastor, how does that apply to us today? Because we're not Old Testament Israelites. Uh, Assyrians have not come against us, and God certainly hasn't struck anybody dead on our account. How does this apply to us? Well, Paul says in the New Testament that the things that happened in the Old Testament and the things that were recorded happened as an example for us, and they were written for our instruction. And so what was true for them is even more true for us. And let me give you an example. In just a little bit, He's going to talk about how God is in their midst. And he's talking about in, in the city of Jerusalem. Now, we have him in our midst today. We have him in our midst corporately as the assembled people of God. Paul says uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, we're the Lord's... He also goes on to say that individually we had the Lord's presence. He, say, he goes on to say, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? So these ancient people of God had his to have his presence with us. And likewise, because we have his presence, we also can experience his power 
and protection. Therefore, why should we be afraid of whatever it is? The second thing I want you to see is who this was originally written for. We know that psalms are songs. It was kind of like the, the Psalter, the, the book of Psalms, was kind of like their Old Testament hymn, hymn book. And so when they would assemble to worship God, they would sing these psalms. And, uh, and if you look, look at uh, ver, uh, Psalm 46, right over verse 1. It says that it was written for, it was set to Alamah. Now that word comes from the word virgins in the, in the Hebrew language. In other words, this was written for people with a high voice. guy and you sing tenor, that's close enough. Uh, it, it was written for people that sang high. So, so anyway, what does this tell us? Well, in just a few words, the psalm says that God is with us, God is for us, and therefore we shouldn't be afraid. He is our stronghold, He is our refuge, and therefore because we have Him in our lives, He gives us security, He gives us stability, He brings judgment, and He also brings peace both on earth but also in our hearts. So I know that's a whole lot to get in, but we're going uh, we're gonna to work our way through Psalm 46. If you found uh, Psalm 46 in your Bible, please stand with me in honor of God's Word. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and just read the whole psalm. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And that's just, I, I love that phrase. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when, more, God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving, or your Bible may say, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is is our stronghold, Selah. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, there are a few things I want you to uh, see in this psalm. The first is that we need to praise God. We should praise God because He provides security. He provides security. Now, this psalm, you'll notice, is broken up into three parts, and each part is, is, is broken up. It's, it's in by that word seems to mean uh, pause. And it could, just, it could just be a musical term that means like musical crescendo or, or catch your breath because you're getting ready to sing some more, but I believe it's more than that. This is inspired scripture after all, and I think what this is saying is you need to take a moment and think about what you've just read. You need to take a moment and think about what you've just sung. Because sometimes, and I think we would do well uh, to do this in our own lives, we'll church and we'll... We'll open the old hymn books, and we've sung them a million times, and so we think about the words that we're saying. But we'll say, wherever he leads, I'll go. Really? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. This world is not my home, 
what? I'm just a passing through. And we sing these songs and we don't think about what it is that we're saying. What it is that we're saying to God in the house of God on a Sunday morning. But even more than our hymns, we need to think about the scriptures when we read it. Now, does anybody ever use this? Bible uh, it has a verse of the day. And so I'll, I'll bring up the verse of the day sometimes, and especially if I'm in a hurry or something, and I'll read that verse. Five minutes later, I can't remember what I've read. And I, and I go to thinking, now, I was trying, I, I, wanted, I wanted God to speak to me from this verse. I can't even tell you if it was Old or New Testament. I'm not the only one that does that, am I? And, and we, hush. And so, so we read this stuff, and we'll read scripture, sit down and have our quiet time, whatever it is. Read it. And I think this is saying when it says Selah, it's saying you need to not only just take a breath, you need to be thinking about it, you need to meditate, you need to mull over what it is that you've just gotten through saying, what you've just gotten through reading, because this psalm has tremendous stuff to say. You just let it. You know, when you're cooking something, chili, the longer you cook it, the better it is, right? And you just put it on a low heat and just let it simmer. Just sit on the back burner, and it just sits there and kind of percolates, and it gets better as time goes on. It's like that with Scripture. You need to put it on the back burner. Just put it on a low heat. It just keeps getting better. As you start to think about those things, it integrates into your life. So, so all the words of Scripture are important, of course, but I want you to look at this first section because it has some very significant terms in it. It starts out in verse 1. And it talks. It says God. Now, there are several different words that are rendered God or Lord or something like that in, in the Bible. The, the word in the original language is Elohim. Now, that's different from Yahweh or Jehovah because that focuses... ...speaks more of his power, of his might... And it would be very, uh, it wouldn't really make a whole lot of difference if God was weak and he said, I come to me. If he was weak, that would, it wouldn't be meaningful. But God is all-powerful and that's why he can say, I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. Come to me no matter what it is that you're facing. He goes, and he says, God is our refuge and strength. And of course, a refuge is a shelter. It's a protection. And strength, of course, talks about boldness and power. So God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And again, in the original language, it doesn't just mean he helps us. It means that he's like the best possible help that's there all the time. It's a superlative. It's, it's the best possible help that's always there. He says, he is our help in times of trouble. And that word trouble means a, a narrow place or a tight place. There's a lot of pressure going on. Boy, in that description, whenever we're facing it feels like it's a narrow place. And the psalmist here says, God is our refuge and strength. Whenever you're going through those times of trouble, you need to go to God. He's there to protect you. He's there to give you strength and boldness. And He is the best help you could ever have, no matter what it is that you're facing. Therefore, look at what it says, verse 2, Therefore, because of all that, we shall not fear. We shall not fear. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you ever deal with fear, because we all do. 
And fear is a very, very debilitating um, thing to feel. And the devil, I think, uses fear. think I'm a holy roller. Well, they, might, they might ask me a question that I don't have an answer to. They might say, yeah, but what about this other thing that you did? The devil uses fear all the time. Sometimes we just look at, at what's going on in life and we get scared and, and, it, and we're scared to step out and do what God wants us to do. But notice, look at verses 2 and 3 again. There should be some fearlessness, or you might say faith, and what he's saying is, he says, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. We're not going to be afraid. And listen, what this is saying is, when, when all that stuff that you thought was permanent in life, all that stuff that you thought was solid and permanent suddenly becomes like, like sinking sand, the Bible says, don't get scared. Don't fear. Have faith. Have faith. And listen, our, our country, this world in general, our country in particular, bad. they are bad. They're getting a lot worse. And our country is, is hurtling toward moral oblivion, I believe. And it's easy to be fearful as we look into the future and say, if we continue down this path, this is what I think it's going to end like. And that's not good. And it's easy to get fearful in those situations. But the answer is faith and not fear. Because those two things, again, they don't go together. I like what one writer said. He said, concern and caution may persist. But for those who make the confession, trust prevails. Why? Because God is with us. And where God is, His power is and His love is. God is with us. Therefore, who shall we fear? I love old C.H. Spurgeon. He was an old Baptist preacher back in the 1800s. One of the most, I think probably one of the most quoted uh, preachers of all time. And he, he had a lot of good stuff, a lot of great lines. A lot of great stuff to say about Psalm 14. He just has uh, some tremendous things to say. Here's, here's one of them. He said, Alps and Andes may tremble, but faith rests on a firmer basis and is not to be moved by swelling seas. And I just love that. Alps and Andes, these mighty mountain ranges, they may tremble, but our faith is on something a little more solid than that. It's on Christ, the solid rock. And therefore, we should praise God because He provides security. Selah. Consider that for a little bit. Think about what it is that you've just read, what it is that you've just heard. Second reason, and this is very closely related, uh, we need to praise God because He not only gives us security, but also stability. If you notice in verse 4, He shifts the image a little bit, and now we get a picture of Jerusalem. And, and I said before, I love this picture, uh, this stream that makes glad the city of God. And I just think that's such a, a just a, a beautiful phrase. But what is this talking about, this river? Well, many times in, in the Scriptures, whenever you look, water in some... In some is symbolic and many times it symbolizes God many times it symbolizes in particular the Holy Spirit Psalm 36 uh, speaks of the river of God's delights that people can take part in and, and what I believe this symbolizes in, in this case 
is the presence of God with his people. Here's why. In the ancient Near East, one, one of a city's... fight war like we fight war. They didn't have guns. It was all hand-to-hand combat. But also, if they were going to besiege a city, of course, there was a wall around the city to keep it safe. But what an army would do many times is they would, they would surround that city so nobody could go in and nobody could come out. And so whatever food you had in the city, whatever supplies you had, that was just all you had. You weren't getting anything else. If there was crops and things of that nature, and so if you had the water, you had a chance. And, and history records that, that in times of, of siege warfare, the hunger would get tremendous. People would eat their children. They would eat disgusting things we would, we would never think about eating after birth. I mean, just terrible, terrible things because they had to eat something to stay alive. But what this is saying is, look at verse 5. They have the life-giving river. God is in their midst. Therefore, they shall not be moved. And I think this is, this is such a word for us today because uh, you may have some trouble in your life. You have uh, somebody or some people coming against you. You know what? God's with you. He is in you if you're a Christian. And if you're besieged, he's besieged within you. And he's nearest in those times of trouble. Again, Spurgeon, he said he is a friend in need and a friend indeed. And I, he's a friend whenever we're in, in times of, of trouble. So we can praise God because he brings stability, no matter what people may do. And if you'll read through the rest of that little uh, section there, uh, you know, the, the nation can do all sorts of things. People can do all sorts of things. They can do and say all kinds of, 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 of stuff that they want. But we shall not be moved because God's with us. Selah. Think that over. Ponder that thought for a little bit. The third thing we should praise God for is because he brings judgment. If you look at verse 8, it says that he has wrought desolations on the earth. That's talking about war. Now, war is a terrible thing. Sometimes it's necessary, I realize, but, but, but war is, is brutal. But in the end, God's even in, in control even of that. And those people that, that, that destroyed, who would desolate, God has done the same to them. Verse 8, he has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease. And war is kind of like cancer in that in killing, it kills itself. In killing, it kills itself. Because, because war results in death, but once those who make war are dead, war ceases to exist. It, it ends up killing itself. And, and, and you know what? We are surrounded by wars. I mean, there's a lot of political unrest going on all, all across this globe. And it's easy again to start wringing our hands and saying, oh my, things are getting out of control. But guess what? God's in control. And one day God's going to wrap all this up, all these, all these places that, that thumb their, uh, their nose at God, they turn their back on Him, one day they're going to be in a heap of ruins. And we say that about nations, but it's also true of individuals. One day there is a judgment day coming. And individuals who uh, mistreat and abuse the people of God, one, one day people who do evil on the earth, they take away the life. In this life, it doesn't seem like they're getting judged for. God one day will judge them. And I'm not saying that with a smile on my face. It's a, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But it's going to happen. It is reassuring, I believe, that the injustices of this world are not the end. 
Because sometimes we look at people that, that do a bunch of wrong and they just end up getting ahead in this world, don't they? And sometimes it's like, man, I'm trying to live my life and do what God wants me to do. And here are all these people doing wrong and it seems like they're the ones that are winning. But this in the end. Back when we were going through our um, adoption stuff some time ago, uh, these verses out of Psalm 27 were uh, a great encouragement to me. He says, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your, your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Because one day God's going to bring about peace on earth. We don't see it now, but one day he's going he's to bring peace on this earth. And finally, uh, in, in verse 10, it's the text that we all know. We need, to, we need to praise God because he brings peace in our hearts. He gives us peace in our hearts. And God himself tells us in verse 10, Be still and know that I'm God. Now I talked about phrases that we all... Let go and let God. And that is that's biblical counsel. Now that's what Psalm 46.10 is saying. Let go and let God. But boy, sometimes if you're going through some of those tank things... I know this is going to sound terrible. Don't you just want to slap the person that says it sometimes? Because it is, it is easy to say when you're not the one that's doing it. It's easy to, to sit in our pew, or to, to sit across the table from somebody with a cup of coffee in our hand and say, well, you just need to let God. He'll work. And sometimes you just want to climb over the table and wring their neck and say, but you're not, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. But you know what? That is, that is essentially what the Bible is calling us to do. And it's easier said than done. And this is a call to peace, a call to stop worrying, a call to stop, to, to, to stop sweating it. Stop trying to do it all yourself. And if you look at verse 10 again, it says, Be still or cease striving and know that I'm God. And that word know means to, to know by seeing or by apprehension. And it's in being still and letting... Letting God do his thing that we realize he is who he says that he is. And probably every Christian here can tell about times when they have they've been real worried about something and you try to work it out yourself, right? You try, oh, well, maybe if I say this to this person and I plant a seed over here, these two people will, will you know, they'll have this conversation and they're going to make this choice and then I can work this situation over here and hopefully they'll intersect because they're friends and they'll get on this topic, and, and we try to make this big scenario work out, and we can't do it. We can, we can. Finally, we say, God, I, I'm at a loss. I can't do it. You're just going to have to take care of it, and God does. In, in the Christian church, a lot of times we say that's a, a God thing. And it's in those times when we've done all this stuff to try and get things worked out, and God does his thing, then that's when we see, he, oh, he really is God. He really does know what he's doing. And so within this thing, be still, I think there's also a little bit of a warning here. It, it implies that we shouldn't be murmuring against God. That's what the Israelites did. God would provide. He gave them manna. Uh, he, he gave them food from heaven for pity's sake. 
they still got unhappy with it. They still grumble and complain. And sometimes God's working things out, and he's, he's doing all this stuff, and we don't know what he's doing. We can only see a little part, and it's not, not up to snuff in our minds. And we start grumbling and complaining. And I think God sometimes is like, just give me a minute. Just, just give it a chance. I'm working it out. He knows what he's doing. Our job is not to fix it. Our job is to trust him, which is very difficult. And that's, but that's what faith is all about. So how do we sum all this up? Well, again, Spurgeon has a great sentence. He says, happen what may, the Lord's people are happy and secure. And I don't think I could have summed it up any better. Happen what may, the Lord's people are happy and secure. What does verse 11 say at the end? Think about what it is that, that, you, what, that, that you've read. Consider that truth, because whatever may come, we are the Lord's people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And like a shepherd, we sang about it a moment ago, Christ leads us. He is our refuge and our strength. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Listen, I don't know what everybody's facing. I know what, man, I know some of the stuff that's going on, and I just want you to know that you've been prayed for. That we all face something. Trust in Him. Uh, ask Him to help you to trust Him more. Uh, I, I feel like that, like that dad in, in the. And the man says, "Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief." And I, I can look at that and I say, "Yep," because I can trust God that my faith is really weak and it falters a lot. Ask God to help you to trust Him more. Be still and know that He's God. Don't grumble and complain. Realize that He's the one that's working it out. He's in our midst. He is our stronghold. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Want to stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just in this time, I want you to uh, to consider I wish I could give you a four step plan that said you need to do this is how you keep your faith up but I can't do it in the end, it's an act of the will where we have to look at. than my problem Some way. in a lot better way than I can figure out. So I'm going to trust that you're and that's tough. But you know all this stuff that I'm saying they're the only ones who can say the God of they're the only ones who can say God is our refuge and strength that you don't know the Lord in a 
the saving way. You've never repented. If not, the call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I invite you to do that if you've never done it. Cast your care upon Him. Heavenly Father, we know that we know that Christians are real good at platitudes of saying things that may objectively be true, but the time or the way in which they're said is sometimes not helpful and in fact sometimes is hurtful. Lord, we know that your word is not full of platitudes. It's full of, of truth. And sometimes we don't want to hear something that maybe sounds almost too simple to trust you. But God, we realize that whenever we see that in your word, you don't promise to just fix things overnight. You don't promise to wave a magic wand and get us out of our troubles but 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 that you'll you'll get in the trouble with us and you'll be that very present help in a time of, of difficulty time of trouble and God each person here is facing something some of it's big some of it uh, maybe it's just big to them but whatever it is we know that it's important to you God, I ask you to help each of us to uh, exercise our wills and, and put our faith in you. Help us to trust you in whatever situation it is. Help us to cast our cares upon you and let you bear those burdens because we can't do it on our own. God, I thank you that you don't just save us and leave us, that you're right there with us, that we can come to you for strength, for protection, for comfort, guidance and that we know that you're in, in the process of working all things for our ultimate good if we're Christians and God if there's somebody who's never accepted Christ that's hearing me today I ask that you would work in their hearts and draw them to you we ask this in Jesus name Amen